Dead Stick Radio, episode 6, recorded June 28, 2019. How to race in Formula One. We figured we'd do this episode on uh, air racing, especially Formula One air racing, since uh, everybody's kind of just learning to fly their racers and getting ready for Reno in September. We're, what, three months out now? So um, people have started to fly now that's warm up. And uh, learning how to how to race and learning how to pass, learning how to fly a formation. So we figured it'd be kind of an interesting topic to talk about and kind of what it's like from the perspective of somebody in the cockpit. Because they don't exactly allow passengers, and so it's very hard to understand what's important, what's not, that kind of thing. So what do you think? Where should we start? You want to start with the tow-out? Yeah. And pull through I, a full race sequence? I know very little about racing myself, so... From the stands, there's you know different types of race starts. So obviously in Formula One, you guys do a standing start. Yes, yeah, that's that's the one I've got experience in. I've never done an air start or come down the chute at all. Um, but I've done lots of ground starts, lots of runway race or starts. Learned a lot doing them, and so I can definitely speak to those. So the very first thing we do is in the pit is check the oil, gas, and do a walk around uh, right away. Make sure that there's nothing wrong because we can't work on airplanes outside of the hangar. Um, once the walk around is complete, assuming now is everything's that, good, uh, is that that no working on planes outside the hangar? Is that uh, is that a race rule or yes. is that just a personal rule? No, that's a rule. You can't work on them. No screwdrivers, uh, and that's just to keep um, loose hardware from ending up on the taxiways and FOD and that kind of thing. Uh, and it also can cause delays and it's a mess. So you should be ready to race when you pull them out of the hangar. So uh, we do the walk around. I get dressed, put my fire gear on. The crew pulls the airplane out, hooks it up to the truck, and we tow it out to the line. And by the line, I say the no prop turn line, just past where the crowd goes at Reno. And this is kind of the same at other races as well. So that's those K-rails, no no prop turn yes. past the K-rails. Well, the prop turn line is just past the K-rails. It's one line up. The K-rail is the crowd line. Gotcha. Um, so there's two important lines there. So we pull up, we, we leave the crowd area where the airplane is now safe from, from people's hands or bumping into it or whatever. Um, uh, then we're free and clear. We can walk away from it, no problem. Um, but it's also still really close to the apron. It's on the apron and really close to the crowd and that kind of thing. So we're out of everybody else's way. Uh, when they say it's time, we then all start towing and we tow in pretty much any order. Whoever's ready to go can go. Uh, and we pull all eight airplanes out kind of, uh, one after the other in a big long train. Uh, we hook up, we use, uh, all these tow bars that hook up to the, the trailer hitch on the truck. And then the other side of the tow bar hooks into the tail wheel of the airplane. So we all tow them uh, tail first. And that way the airplane is stable when you tow it. Uh, as you know, tail wheel airplanes are unstable in the forward direction. Um, so we, we tow them out all the way down. A lot of the pilots at this point start getting a little bit jittery. So some of them like to walk. Uh, they get nervous. They understand what's coming. The adrenaline starts flowing. They start to mean business. Uh, we pull them all the way to kind of the, the runway hold short line, then we stop. Now, do you have fuel at this point or, or? Oh yeah, she's the airplane's ready to fly. Like I'm ready to get in and go. I got my fire suit on. I got everything in the airplane set up. My earplugs are out. Everything, it's ready. Like there's nothing out. There's no no covers on the airplane. It's ready to fly. Um, so we park them at the hold short line, and then we all stand in a, a small circle, kind of right on the hold short line, and uh, brief on. Uh, we choose our our takeoff positions. So from the the previous heat. We, that chooses our starting position. So uh, the first, the airplane that finished first gets to pick first. So they typically pick the pole and everybody lines up basically from front to back. 
is, is basically how it goes. And that way you end up with the fastest airplanes at the front and slowest at the back until it starts easier anyways. Sometimes it gets flipped, um, but not usually. So then we, we pick our starting order and then we brief the takeoff. And so it's not a, it's not a random start like you think. Uh, we all know what our airplane's performance is. We all know if we're fast off the line or slow off the line. Uh, there's gonna be some passing off the start. And so we have to understand uh, where that passing will likely occur and plan for it. And then we also talk about our outs. So we're basically following formation right from the runway. So it looks sketchy, but it's a, it's a pre-planned takeoff. And formation doesn't always go the way uh, you think it's gonna go, which is why we brief our outs and uh, contingency plans and so on. But it's a full brief takeoff right from the beginning. Um, then we, once the, the, the previous race is over and landed, then we pull the airplanes out onto the starting grid. There's uh, painted marks on the runway to make sure that we have the right spacing with the airplanes in front of us. Uh, we line up at Reno 323 in three rows. And that way, uh, if any airplane has to uh, abort a start or something, the other airplanes can roll by him uh, with no problem, him or her, uh, with no issues. Uh, so we, once we pull the airplanes out, we line them up in the grid. Uh, the tow vehicles take off back to the uh, staging area. Uh, and we leave, I think there's, we're allowed two crew out there with the airplanes. One person on, actually three, I think. One on each wing and then one for starting the propeller if we have no starter or holding the tail or whatever the crew wants to do. Um, so at the 10 minute mark, we all, it's time to get in the airplane. And so at that point, the jitters for me are pretty much gone at that point. I feel them a little bit, or I used to feel them when I was walking out uh, or riding in the truck out and then uh, they'd kind of go away. But now I don't get them as much anymore just cause it's not so new anymore. Um, but when we're strapping in and getting the airplane, it's pure business. And there's a, there's a very specific procedure to follow. I do a final quick walk around, last chance walk around. Uh, jump in, do the fire suit up, get the parachute on, um, get in the airplane, get strapped in, get the helmet on, and then I wait. And so 10 minutes is a long time to idle in with a race engine. So uh, we, I wait till probably the seven or six minute mark. And so I'm already, fuel's primed, like she's ready to fire, mixture's rich, master's on, I'm listening to the radio. On the radio, they do a, a countdown every minute. So you hear nine minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes, etc. on the radio. Uh, so at the seven minute mark at Reno, that typically works out good for me. I fire it up. Uh, once I fire it up, I then leave it at idle, wait for the temperatures to come up 100 degrees or so uh, on the oil. And then uh, that's time for the run up. And so then the run up usually happens at the four minute mark or so, three minute mark, somewhere in there. Uh, so quick run up, uh, check everything, um, set everything the way I want it, uh, do the normal pre takeoff checks. Uh, in a cassette, they're very straightforward, very simple. Basically, make sure the canopy's done up, controls work, and, and that the engine runs the way you want it to, and that's about all you can do. Um, so now we're running. Everybody beside me is running. Um, if I'm in the middle of one of the rows of three, I can look right and look left and see another airplane. And they're only like uh, maybe one airplane width away from me, so you can see them very clearly. And uh, while we're running, waiting for the, that last three-minute countdown, uh, you can look left and right and see all the pilots and they're all uh, making hand gestures and signaling and nodding their heads, smiling. Like Now they're in fun mode, like party mode. Uh, so everybody's running, everybody's secure, everybody's good to go. All we need to do is wait for the countdown to, to, to uh, countdown. So then we, uh, at the uh, two minute mark, uh, one minute mark, I do kind of some final last minute checks to make sure I'm, I'm belted up tight and I didn't miss anything last chance. I like doing double checking things, that kind of thing. 
uh, some of it's just out of a, a habit and um, uh, nerves, I guess. And then we, one minute mark, then it's time to be in business. I get ready to go, I brief the takeoff, I think about my contingency plans running through my head if the engine quits down low, which runway am I taking? If the engine quits at pylon one on the takeoff, which is probably the lowest energy and farthest from the runway position you can get in the wrong direction, what do you do? Um, that kind of thing. So brief all those in your head one last time, go through them all in detail. So then uh, at the, uh, I can't remember the exact starting procedure. It's been a year now, but uh, I think at the 10 second mark, the red flag goes up. Oh no, 10 second, uh, uh, T minus 10 seconds. I think the green flag goes up. The red flag's been up the whole time. Uh, and then obviously at zero, the green flag drops. And then all three rows of flaggers drop their green flag as well. And then that's race start. So at 10 seconds or so, I start bringing the power up. And so I'm basically standing on the brakes, wide open throttle, mixture lean for max power uh, at the 10 second mark or coming into the seven second mark. And by that point, some of the tails are flying and like these planes can't be more ready to go. And as soon as the green flag drops, you don't have to do anything except take your feet off the brakes. And then there's no worrying about setting systems or anything at that point, you're taking off. And because there's eight airplanes there, you gotta know where everybody is and what your plan is and, and fly your plan. So then we roll. And as we roll, we can watch the other airplanes on each side of you, whether they go faster or slower, or whether you pass them or not. It's very important you keep your line at this point because you can smash right into them. Uh, and then we, uh, uh, I lift the tail up as fast as I can get it just so I can start seeing and it reduces the drag on the airplane a little bit. Uh, I keep the tail low, but off the ground. And that's enough visibility I can see out the front. And the reason I do that is if one of the guys in front of me has to abort a takeoff, he'll still be on the runway. And so I'll have to roll past him and my airplane's a longer taking off airplane. And so it's important to get the tail up and see where the, the obstacles are on the runway, if there are any, to make sure you don't smash into somebody. Um, technically, if you hold your line, you should never hit somebody. Um, but we all know that uh, things change and people end up with stuck brakes and, and weird things. So um, it's important to keep your eyes uh, in front of you and looking. Now at Reno, it's very important or very difficult to see out the front because the sun is very low in the horizon, right in your face. We typically take off eastbound at 8 a.m. So all you see is silhouettes and it's very difficult to judge the distance. So at this point, you'll be flying, you'll see the however many airplanes are in front of you, the people behind you, you can't see, so you don't have to worry about them. What, uh, what happens if uh, you can't get going? What happens if you have an engine start sputtering or something? What happens at that point? Yeah, so uh, I can't remember the timing now. It's been a while now, but I think uh, up to the one minute mark, um, you, can, you can shut down, open your canopy, and then they, they'll tow you off and hold the red flag. Um, at the once you get down into like less than one minute roll with whatever you got so if it starts running rough at 10 seconds or five seconds just wide open and do what you can to accelerate down the runway get the tail up try and get as fast as you can 50 miles an hour 80 miles an hour whatever you can get just to give the guys behind you the time to cut off the ground so they can get by you safely gotcha. so that's the aborted start procedure what happens if you can't get that kind of speed? What uh, what happens then? You roll as straight as you can, and everybody else will be rolling right past you, going pretty fast. And uh, they, their responsibility is to see you. And there's enough distance between airplanes that you have the option to see somebody. You have the opportunity. Um, but it's very important that you go with everything you got uh, for safety reasons. Uh, just increase that distance and that gap as big as you can get it. Because it's if somebody has to go, but if you're rolling at 20, that's all you get before the engine quits or blows up or whatever. And uh, somebody else rolls by you at 100 from the row behind you. That's a big closure rate. And it's very important that they don't hit you or catch wingtips. 
Uh, so you got to accelerate as hard as you can to get that distance. And technically, we shouldn't hit, but it's still close enough that there's some risk there. Um, so then on takeoff, as soon as you break ground, typically I break ground near the back of the pack because my airplane's slow coming off the ground. Uh, back there, you're in eight airplanes worth of wake turbulence, um, mushing along at like barely 100 miles an hour, uh, three feet off the ground. And it's quite a ride, and it's it's sometimes a struggle to uh, keep the airplane flying straight uh, and not come back down and settle onto the runway or something. Uh, so it's it's pretty rough, and it's it's kind of high risk. Um, but try and find the smooth air is, is the only advice I can say, and and make sure you know where the other airplanes are. Your formation from right up from takeoff, so uh, you can't just fly straight line or do what you want back there. You gotta you gotta know where the airplanes are beside you, and your head's supposed to be on a swivel. So on takeoff, I just do the normal. I verify my gauges are all green, all my engine gauges are green, and my airspeed works, and then I just take off. And then after that point, I never look back in the cockpit. I just look left and right, 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 until we're off the ground, and I can start figuring out everybody kind of gets stable and where they are, that kind of thing. So then we take off, and uh, right away, I keep my line until home. Uh, then I make that left turn for pylon one. And we all pass pylon one at like 120 miles an hour or 140 miles an hour, really slow. Uh, and so we're all mushing pretty bad and the turns, like we barely have any bank angle at that point. The airplane's not really uh, flying very well yet, uh, but we're also flying formation. So that's, that's the point where we have the least energy, I think, uh, and pointed away from the airport. And it would be very difficult to uh, recover it onto a runway uh, if the wind was say a tailwind or out of the south. Um, there's not a whole lot of runway left on the, uh, the long runway. Um, but you'd, so you probably, you might want to take a taxiway or something. I have to look at the, the map now. Yeah. Do you guys ever launch, uh, with how much tailwind do you guys launch with potentially? I can't remember the limits anymore. Um, I don't like land or launching with a tailwind, especially on short runways, just cause you run out of options really fast. It's a long time to come off the ground too. And what happens if you exceed the limits? Do you just not race that day? Yeah, if the limits are exceeded beyond what the race rules state, then we scrap. And then a lot of guys, especially if the wind is close to the limit, will scrap due to their own personal limits. So it's very important that you know your own airplane and know your limits in your airplane. So what I do here is I practice crosswinds uh, quite a bit and landing in difficult situations. And that way I know what I can do and what's what I can't do and, and where my own limitations are. That way, when I go to Reno or, say, Thailand or somewhere else, uh, although we might be within class limits, we're not inside mine, I don't go. And it's not worth it to risk the airplane. So uh, where were we at? We were passing pylon one. Uh, at that point, we're flying formation. So at that point, I'm accelerating. I accelerate for a whole lap. Uh, everybody else does too. And we go around the backside. We're flying formation with whoever's close to us, starting to accelerate. And there's usually hardly any passing that goes on the first lap. If there's a really fast airplane behind, he'll get by a really slow airplane up front. But uh, most of the passing happens on lap two once kind of the top speeds are hit, or lap three maybe. And then after that, there's a little bit of passing that happens on some really closely matched airplanes towards the end of the race. Um, we go past uh, on the back stretch. On the back stretch, uh, at Reno at least, we aim for there's two National Guard hangars on the west side of the airport. And uh, once you roll out a pylon three, basically just aim for the guard hangars. And then uh, pylon four becomes visible, and then it's you can set up for your next turn. But the guard hangers is kind of the perfect line. On the back stretch too, there's there's a, a, a valley, I think it is. Um, so there's a guide pylon back there. It's really easy to fly low in the back stretch, and it looks really bad from the crowd. It looks like you're dragging your wheels in the bushes. 
uh, even though you're actually fairly high still. But so they put a guide pile on back there. So look left, uh, kind of mid straight, back straight, and make sure that you're above that pylon or else they'll call you for low flying. Um, wide open at that point, very minor engine adjustments if you need to. Some airplanes have more control of the engine than others with spark timing and so on. I don't. Uh, so I basically just set it and make leave the throttles wide open and keep my hands on the throttle and make sure just to make sure that the, the settings stay where I need them and they're not drifting with uh, vibration or something. Um, so other than that point, from there, it's basically just a formation. Like you're flying normally uh, to pass as you approach an airplane in front of you. You want to roll. You don't want to stay wide on them. You want to roll into the turn with them and fly the same line. So the same distance around the course. You want to be tight on the pylons at all times. When you roll out of the onto the straights, you want to use that altitude you gained on them from the stack, convert it to airspeed, and then the straights are the easiest place to make the pass. Typically, uh, in the turns, it's more difficult because it's 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 very hard with the cassette wings to see underneath the wing. Um, so it's you, you, it kind of forces you. You can't fly too high on somebody, otherwise you lose them under the wing. Um, so it's you're kind of limited to how far how high or how much you can stack on somebody. So let's uh, let's walk through a, an actual pass there. So I'm having some trouble visualizing it. So how so say you're coming up behind somebody. What what do you do? So as you approach somebody, well, number one is uh, keep your eyes open. Make sure that there's not a second airplane there. Know where the airplanes are in front of you. The people behind you have to yield to you, so you don't have to worry about them. So as you approach, you start to uh, swing wide on the straights, uh, just so you can see them and that they don't get uh, they don't disappear under your nose or something. Um, as they roll into the left turn, uh, you then keep your inside line, stay tight on the course, right behind them. Don't go wide on them until you're ready to make the pass, until you're forced to. And that way you keep the tight turn. I see, actually I used to do it too, is go wide early, um, set up that formation turn early. But all that does is allow me to fly a longer line and then I get slow and I never catch them. So uh, um, stay tight on them, right behind them, as tight on the pylons as you can until you're forced wide. Once you go wide on the straights on them, the, uh, do your best to get around them. You're basically level to level or level with them. You look left, you see them right there. They see you at that point. Um, it, sometimes you can't quite get by them on the first straight, and so you have to roll into the turn. And instead of staying wide on them, go high. So take the high line and stay tight on their wingtip like glued to their tip. If they roll, you're in the same position off that uh, that relative to the person you're passing as you would be on the straights. So you go high, and that, that way you fly the tight course. Yeah, and then, so, and then they can see you. Otherwise, if you were at the same level, they couldn't see you through the wing. Well, they don't need to see me because the responsibility is on me. The formation contract is my responsibility not to hit them at that point. They don't care. All they're working on is trying to pass the airplane in front of them. Gotcha. Um, so I stay glued there, basically, as I'm trying to make the pass. And if you fly the same course line as them with a couple miles an hour of energy, uh, you will gain on them. And if you fly exactly the same course, eventually you will get around them. Now, it's not always that way. It's not always perfect because you always get forced a little bit wide due to other airplanes or whatever happens. Uh, and it's never uh, a textbook. Uh, so, But that's kind of the theory behind it is the tighter you can stay, the more the chance of you passing them. Um, I don't crowd other guys or get real tight on them like some people do. Uh, it's just not worth it to me. It's a plastic trophy. Uh, I have a faster airplane coming. That one will never win. So tight, unsafe passes or dangerous passes are not my forte. 
Um, so as we as we kind of sneak past somebody, I, I tend to gain altitude on them. And sometimes on the straights, what I'll do is I'll stay high on them. I'll still keep my sight line on them, but just fly high because when I roll into the next corner, I can gain another 50 feet or something on them. So then on the next pass, on the next straightaway, I now have twice the altitude to convert to airspeed. Um, I try not to dive too much. I try to fly very consistently, but uh, altitude converting to airspeed can usually cause a successful pass. Sometimes you won't get around somebody till lap seven of eight. So then as you're passing them, you finally have enough smash. Uh, you're down low, you've got five, 10 miles an hour of pass speed on them. Um, you, you slide by them on their right, always on their right, and they see you by the time you usually, usually people see me by the time our wingtips were kind of nose to nose. Uh, then they'll kind of look over and see if they haven't looked in the shadows already. Um, they usually do a quick double take like, oh, that guy's passing me. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll, I'll uh, communicate with a, a thumbs up or a rude gesture or something like that, a big smile, whatever, because uh, it's, it's very easy. You can see each other clearly. And uh, I'll swing by and then I'll keep watching them. And then as soon as I have that nose to tail clearance and gaining, I can close the door on them. I can move back into the, the tight line. And then at that point, I'm well clear of them. And then I'm, if I'm flying the, the tight line, I can get around them, no problem. Now I know um, from, from a previous race, we had a situation where it was an airplane much faster than me. Uh, this was an interesting learning for me. I didn't even realize that this could happen is he went by me and uh, he, went, he passed me like three, four times actually doing this. But on the corners, he'd fly very wide, extremely wide corners for whatever reason. Uh, what that does though is it slowed him down enough. I rolled into the corner and went belly up on him. Never even saw him because he was passing underneath me um, at all the first three times. So I'd go belly up on him and pass him again on the corners. And then we'd level out on the straightaways and he'd slide by underneath me again and then go wide on the turn. And then I'd belly up on him and I'd make the corner and pass him again. And so by the fourth time, that caused a near miss where um, I was uh, belly up on him. I, was, I couldn't see him at all. He couldn't see me because he was wide in the turns. Uh, when he came out of the wide turn, uh, all he could see was my belly uh, flying across his nose from left to right, tight on the pylons. And it caused a near miss. Near and miss midair. He couldn't see you because it, you, were, you were above him over his shoulder. I, so when he went by me, I was exactly, he was underneath me on my right, which is okay because um, he could see me there. And then he got by me and he thought he was clear and he rolled into the corner, which he was clear at that point. I still hadn't seen him because he was underneath my wing. So when he gets by me, I'm behind him over his shoulder to the left. He's not looking there. He's looking for the next pylon where he should be looking. So he didn't realize I was there and I didn't know he was there either because none of us could see each other. And so then when we rolled out or, or when we rolled into that next turn, we had that near miss coming out of the turn. So what the, the lesson I had there was is it's very important to, to keep your line tight on the pylons to avoid that midair situation. Because that one, none of us could do anything about it. Gotcha. Like no, none of us could see each other. So there's no actual communication between pilots when you're up there. There's no radio comms. There's no, none of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's very easy to get confused with radio communications. Um, sometimes uh, we'll make some calls. I'm, I chat more than other people do. Uh, some people are more old school from back in the day when we didn't need radios at all. A lot of people don't have radios that work very well and the airplanes are loud enough that it's hard to hear. So you can make a call, but the chance of the guy hearing you is slim when you're wide open like that. It's yeah. The airplanes are very loud. Like I use I use uh, earplugs um, custom molded to my ears vented as well uh, underneath my headset. 
and I turn my radio volume up to max. And then that gets me to a point where I can hear the radio pretty good without a ridiculous amount of, of no, cockpit noise coming in my ears. Um, but other airplanes are extremely loud as well. So radios are difficult to make work. Gotcha. Just do this, the straight noise. Um, so historically, we haven't needed radios. Now we do for the recoveries. Um, but there's very little uh, on-course communication. So our racing happens very tight. Um, the straightaways are short. The corners are tight. And so things happen very fast where uh, in other races, uh, the turns tend to be more graceful because it's a much bigger course uh, where you can fly a lot better formation lines where we're kind of down in the dirt all over the place. Um, everything's happening very fast. So radio communication uh, is more difficult down there. So uh, of course, when I see near misses and people not seeing each other, I'll call on the radio. Hey, you got an airplane there. Don't do that. Or uh, you pull up or whatever, uh, just for safety reasons. Um, but it's very important that if I do that, there could be unintended consequences of that decision. Like somebody could pull up into somebody else I didn't see. Gotcha. So it's very important that if you make a call, it's because you have to. Um, a lot of people figure making calls creates more risk than it helps. Uh, just from the race rules and how it's set up in the formation contract and everything. So typically it's silent on the radio. Gotcha. Yeah, um, occasionally I'll call, um, uh, okay, I'm clear, I'm closing the door or something if it's really tight and if I'm really struggling to make a pass or something. And then uh, sometimes somebody else will call, good pass, Scott, which means you can come on down, I see you. Gotcha. Uh, just to make sure that, like sometimes you get nose to tail clearance, but not quite enough. And so there's a decision point there where do you have enough clearance to close the door? Is it going to be too tight and risk of midair if you, if you come in too tight too early? Um, so, or, and do they see you or am I going to make them have to, to throttle back or something, uh, or will it be too tight? Like, I don't want to put them right into my wake when I'm 10 feet in front of them kind of thing. So, um, we typically stay quiet on the radio unless we have to talk, um, just cause it's, it can create a lot of issues. Now, do you hear stuff from race control when you're up there? Uh, only emergencies, uh, they stay dead quiet. Uh, except if, if there's an emergency and you pop the course, say, uh, race nine, mayday, uh, and then state your intentions, uh, designating for runway eight or whatever, intentions runway eight, whatever. And they say, attention all aircraft, emergency in progress, wind zero two zero at six or whatever the winds are. Um, just so that the aircraft knows and everybody else in the course knows that somebody's mayday and they, they could see some action. Um, then the mayday airplane can do their thing. And typically there's no other radio communication from that. So then when we finish the eight laps, on the, uh, we pass home pylon you know, onto the checkered flag and we can see the flagger underneath the pylon, no problem. Um, we come through home pylon after eight laps and we've done our passing. And the very first thing we do is we exit the course in the same order um, that we finished. So the guy in front of me will pull off the course and zoom for altitude. I'll follow him and we're still kind of in formation at that point. Uh, no passes, uh, but I'm still, I'm just staring at him. Zooming, slowing down, getting the prop loaded up. Uh, and then, uh, so what's, what's zooming, uh, climbing. So I just pull off the course, look above me when you, when you pull, um, look at the airplane beside you and just pull off the course, 45 degrees, nose up, uh, something like that. And just follow the airplane in front of you. And they're, they're going to make a left turn and they're going to start setting up for, for the cool down lap. And the cool down lap is up high. I think it's 1500 feet. Uh, and we basically just uh, start pulling the power back and slowing down a little bit and sequencing ourselves for landing, cooling the engines and the pilots down. 
it also works well to stay in the cool down for spacing. We don't want airplanes crowded on the downwind or base. Uh, one of the problems with F1 is you get short slab wings racing with long wing airplanes. The long wing airplanes glide way different than a, a slab wing airplane. And a lot of us are running with like 6 to 10 PSI oil pressure at idle when it's that hot. So we, uh, we don't have a lot of oil pressure and the engines are very hot at that point. So they could quit at any second. So it's very important when we pull up into the cool down, the cool down's tight right over the airport in a position where we can make a dead stick if we had to from every point of the cool down. Uh, what we also do in the cool down is try and maneuver ourselves or sequence ourselves or space ourselves out nicely uh, for, the, uh, for the downwind. Uh, typically the first two airplanes go um, uh, straight to downwind, straight for base and final. So yeah, so we cool down, we, we uh, get our spacing uh, set up properly. Usually the first two or three airplanes will go straight downwind just because they've got the, it's wide open. And so one of the most dangerous parts of a race is actually in the cool down because there's airplanes flying everywhere and most of them don't know where anybody else is, or a lot of them don't. Um, they, they're supposed to, but quite often people, new people, there's just too much going on. There's planes that are flying up there that don't have good situational awareness. That's how you end up in a midair. So I've had several close mid call midairs um, just in the cool down, flying around in circles where I'm supposed to be sequenced behind the guy in front of me, and somebody will fly right in front of me, a couple hundred feet in front of me, left to right, and not even see me. Same altitude. So I don't like that kind of thing. Most other people don't either. So uh, I'll, I'll do it for sure is if from the first three airplanes, I'll go straight to downwind, just get on the ground as fast as I can uh, and get out of that, that mess up there. Uh, and then uh, usually at that point, if I'm number one, I can fly nice tight patterns, perfect. I can power off 180 all the way to the runway. Uh, on downwind, uh, you have to um, uh, make your call that you're exiting the cooldown. Um, uh, come down to your 1,000 foot circuit altitude, fly your circuit, fly your downwind, no problem. Um, make your calls on base, your race nine base with gear, and then uh, uh, that's the last call you make. So the first three typically go to downwind. If there's a long wing airplane though, they'll fly like maybe a two mile final. Uh, so it's quite a much bigger pattern because they're such a flat gliding airplane. Uh, the slab wings, uh, if you're a sucker, will fly behind the long wings and also fly a two mile final and obviously not be able to make the runway if the engine quit, which happens and has happened before. Uh, and then you have to drag it in on power with a race engine that's over race temperature. Uh, overtemped and already and almost no oil pressure and it's just a bad situation so uh, my recommendation is if there's a long wing airplane in front uh, or somebody that likes to fly big patterns uh, go around and uh, get out of that because it's not worth it so fly tight pattern is uh, my advice for everybody uh, even the long wings fly the tightest pattern you can make uh, just keep it in tight for everybody else um, several times I've seen uh, suckers get suckered into a, flying like a three mile final. So people get too tight on each other on downwind. And then on base, uh, somebody will turn base. And then the other guy will extend downwind a little bit just for spacing reasons. And then the next guy will extend a little bit. And we end up flying cross countries on downwind out to fly this big long final back. And that's totally unsafe. And it's ridiculous. And it should not be happening. Um, so my recommendation in that situation, get out of there, go around again, stay over the airport until it's clear to come in for, for your downwind. Um, so we try and sequence properly. We land one after the other. We land hot side, cold side. That's very important. So what that means is on the non-taxiway side is where you touch down. 
And then once you get the airplane out of control and the tail down, you move over to the uh, to the uh, taxiway side, just in case the guy behind you has too much speed and, and rolls past you. Gives him that option to roll past if he needs it. Uh, it's happened to me one time, happened in China. Uh, it worked out fine, no big deal. Uh, once you're cooled out or uh, on the cold side and uh, under control, get it slowed down, make your taxiway exit, uh, shut down with everybody else, and then uh, go find your recovery vehicle. Um, usually the, the hardest part is the cool down and the landing, I think. Um, the actual racing kind of get used to, um, but when you're landing in 20 knots or gusting and bad weather and sequencing with eight other airplanes all trying to get to the downwind at the same time, that's where it gets interesting and that's where you can really see who makes good decisions and who doesn't. Uh, who's got good situational awareness and who doesn't and who makes good uh, judgment calls. Uh, and then once you uh, get out of the airplane and cool down, you can go uh, shake hands with everybody. And, and then the most important part is the debrief where we all stand together, run through the flight, what went right, what went wrong. Um, call other people out for their mistakes. Uh, those people need to admit their mistakes, uh, take responsibility for their actions. And then we all learn from it. And then we're all professional about it. And then we can have a better race next time. So that's about all we, that's about the whole thing. What I miss. Yeah, I think that uh, covers everything. I everything that I can think of, anyways. Good. Um, what do you think? You want to talk a little bit about what's coming up in the yeah, next month should. or so? Some updates. So what's first? I think so. Well, first is probably uh, Oshkosh. Yeah, so we're kind of midsummer here, and so midsummer we kind of just do our normal things, day jobs, hanging out, uh, going to the lake, and some local flying, flying yeah. as much as we possibly can yeah. while it's not frozen, avoiding thunderstorms. Uh, but we made the decision about uh, four weeks ago or so to go to Oshkosh this year. Um, Brian's never been. I've been a couple times. Uh, he's going to be in for a treat. I think a surprise. It'll be nice to be back at Oshkosh. Uh, it'll be nice to see our friends again, uh, make new friends. Uh, we're going to be tenting this year and camping in Audrey's Park, which is a amazing location thanks to uh, um, one of our friends, Eldon Jesdell, who works in the comm center. Um, I think Brian will be doing some volunteering. Yeah, sounds I'm, like. I'm going to be volunteering. Eldon's asked me if, uh, if I'm available and I'm going to help as much as I possibly can. Yeah, that's kind of my plan too, is in our, in our free time, go help Malt a little bit. Um yeah, I'll be there the whole week. Uh, Brian will be there a couple days before I will. will stay right till the last Sunday. Uh, hang out, have fun, drink some beer, maybe do some flying if we're lucky. Uh, after Oshkosh, we'll be gearing up for Reno, I think. Um, we'll take the airplane apart, usually last week, August kind of thing, get in the trailer. And at that point, we're basically ready to go. T-shirts are uh, under production. All the new vinyl is uh, on the way right now, and we'll be putting on the airplane right away. Uh, we've got a crew of, I think, 26 coming this year. <laughs> Holy crap. It's going to be ridiculous. We have uh, eight from uh, Arc Engineering, one of uh, Team Outlaw sponsors. Um, Calvin, who's on our, our star from the last episode, is coming down. He's, uh, he's interested in the stole drags. Uh, me and Brian are going, um, my family's coming, my dad, mom, and sister are coming. Uh, it'll be busy. I've got uh, a couple friends from work coming down, two friends from work. Uh, and then of course, uh, we're, we've been working on that electric motor project for a while now. So, uh, I think six of them are coming down as well. So, uh, they'll have, they'll have a good time, get to hang out and so on. So, uh, we're hoping that the, uh, the motor will be, um, ready to at least demonstrate a little bit of, don't know if we'll make it or not because we don't know what we don't know yet. 
but uh, if we're swinging the motor right away, then it'll be uh, interesting and fun to uh, uh, bring it to Reno if we can if we can get it there in time. Uh, what else is coming up? What I miss? Um, I don't know. I think that's that's all I know of. Yeah, Oshkosh is just kind of the big one right now. I think we're what three weeks out from leaving. Yeah, pretty pretty quick here. I'm gonna drive all the way down there, and that'll be a lot of uh, a lot of driving. Yeah. Do you uh, want to talk about some other news? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, yeah. So why don't we end it there? Fair enough. All right. Bye for now, everybody. See you next time.